You listen to 247 Real Talk. You're with your host once again, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I'll be sharing my personal thoughts, including honoring the heroes of this COVID pandemic, the COVID pandemic itself, and a bit more. I'll be right back. So good evening to all my listeners out there. Happy uh, Wednesday evening it is. It's uh, 11.28 p.m. on Wednesday, July 7th. I'm in uh, Long Island, New York. Um, I think outside the skies are gray as we wait on the another night of impact from uh, this hot weather we're having and thunderstorms. But today was a bright, sunny day, and it was a day that New York, New York City, honored first responders. I want to, first of all, say, you know, thank you to all the first responders. Um, I know so many of them, um, hospital workers, my, my wife is part of the healthcare industry, Firefighters, police officers, EMTs. I, I know them, you know, paramedics. I know so many of them personally. And I've had a few of them as guests on this show. What they've endured, what they've seen, the, the deaths and the human struggle that, you know, I think for some of them have told me they get nightmares about as they see, you know, they go to sleep and they see or relive seeing someone take their last breath over and over again. This has been the most horrific. Let me be careful here, because as I lead into this episode, which shouldn't be too long, um, it'll be a short episode tonight, but as I lead into it, I want to be, you know, be sure the direction I'm going in here. So the reason I paused is because while I am very certain that these uh, first responders need and deserve all the praise in the world, let's, let's talk about honoring first, first responders, first of all. You know, it is, it is wonderful to throw a ticket tape parade. But what, what bothers me is that that's a one-time event, and, you know, if, if there's something else bigger in the news in the next month, that, that we as human beings get consumed with, the first responders will end up at the back of our minds. Now, I don't know if any of this is doable, but for me, you know, you want to really honor the first responders, you know, make sure they all have free health coverage. You know, let the, let the, we pay so much money in taxes, let them figure, the government figure it out, you know, in a way that, you know, they can get free health care. Um, I know some of them don't. This is why I say that. Um, wipe out their student loans. I mean, shoot, that should be done for everybody as far as I'm concerned. But 
you know, federal student loans should be wiped out for everyone, as far as I'm concerned. But wipe out the student loans of these first responders who, but for a moment, would not have mattered in terms of student loans because they could have lost their lives at any moment. Then there'd be no one to pay back the student loans. What, what happens then? Does New York City, does the federal government, does the world come to an end if, if someone does not make it, if someone dies and doesn't pay their student loans? No. So wipe out the student loan. You know, this is something that I'm going to continue to repeat on various episodes until someone listens, until someone hears, until someone takes it seriously, until someone gets past the, you know, get, gets over the, oh, I paid mine, so you have to pay yours. We're evolving. Time is going forward. This whole thing about people going to school and educating themselves to be a productive part of society, they come out, they can't get the job that's equal to the degree that they've, they've, they've achieved and they're burdened with student loans that take over the, you know, most of their paychecks and they, so they can't grow, they can't, you know, they have to live with others, they can't buy a home, they can't, you know, all these, this is ridiculous, not in the United States of America, this just doesn't make sense. You know, we have a, a way of criticizing other countries, other societies very quickly. But when you look at places like the Caribbean, many, many countries, many islands in the Caribbean, if you're from one of those islands, if you're from like the University of West Indies, if that, that encompasses a few different islands, um, education is free. And I've, and I've stated this over and over again that people then leave those countries, those islands, and come to the United States and, and, and they work here, and this society is, benefits from their expertise but didn't spend a dime on their education. So, come on. I don't want to digress, even though that student loan thing is a passionate thing for mine, but I, I'm saying, you know, why part the student loan to these first responders? They've struggled enough. Take away the struggle from them. Give them, if you, if you truly want to say thank you, you know, forget all the frivolous, you know, uh, accolades that, that have no meaning, no depth, and no longevity. I, I, I think that if you had spoken to any first responder who's struggling to pay their student loans, and you would have said, well, we can have a ticket tape parade, or I can wipe out your student loans, I'm pretty sure they would have chosen the latter. So, free health insurance. Wipe out their student loans. Honoring people is about honoring them with something that, that can be sustained. Not a high five for a moment and then they go back to their struggles the next day. Not in this case, especially where these people put their lives literally on the line every day. When you consider that, and, I, and, I, and I've spoken about this before and I'm sure I don't want to keep reliving this, but we cannot forget this. I remember each and every day I would get up and I would you know, put on the news and listen to you know, Governor Cuomo and, and Mayor de Blasio and, and hear the numbers, eight, nine hundred deaths per day, generations wiped out from families, kids orphaned, entire families wiped out. I've heard of people where six, seven members of their family were gone. This was nothing ordinary. And the response to the people, the doctors, the nurses, the, all the first responders, the police, the firemen, the EMTs, 
who went to work every day knowing that they were at that level of risk and they could be next needs to be equal to the sacrifice they made. And the sacrifice they made was truly putting their life on the line. So now I've spent quite a bit of time making sure that I honor them and I personally say thank you to each and every one of them, everyone who listens to this episode, every first responder that's a supporter of this podcast. I thank you. I salute you. I think that you are braver than brave because you probably could have found a way to say, hey, I'm not doing this. I mean, some people I think were forced into it because that, that's their job. If they don't go, they don't get paid. They can't pay their bills. So I'm sure there's a subset of them who um, had second and third thoughts about it, but they had to go to work because they had to get paid. And actually, I know of one of those people because I saw an interview of, of one nurse that was in that position. But most of the others, and even irrespective of that position, their dedication to their job, their, their humanity, their, their ability to see people suffering and not run, but, but walk steadfast you know, through the bodies trying to find the one they can save is, is, is nothing short of amazing. I remember hearing a story about, a, I think it was a paramedic who came from some other state to New York just to volunteer to help, and then he eventually contracted COVID and he died. So, you know, there are a lot of heroes here. But the other thing that I want to say that's attached to this is what I saw today in the ticket tape parade also gave me a lot of anxiety and, 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 and need for concern. According to the news I just watched, according to NBC News, they were, there was an estimated 100,000 people who were spectators. So this is spectators, not including the people who were involved in the actual parade. I saw this on TV in terms of what the parade looked like, and what immediately struck me was no one was wearing a mask. And I have to cringe for a second and wonder, what if we're wrong? What if this virus is as small as it seems to be and, and, and mutating? How many of that 100,000 even spectators have not yet been vaccinated? How many of them are carriers? I, I know someone personally who had COVID twice. He had COVID, he got over it, and like three months later, four months later, he got it again. What happened in that crowd today? We, had, you know, we see this ticket tape parade, and then we listen to the news, and we hear about this troubling Delta variant that spreads rapidly, and they're still trying to get people to get vaccinated. And I think what, and I'll look it up here on my phone to be right, to make sure I've got the facts right. Um, I think what the thing that bothered me was about two days ago, I read a story and I'm pulling up my phone here right now. And it says the Lambda coronavirus variant has arrived in Australia. 
Now, remember, Australia is a place where, you know, they boasted very few cases because they shut the whole country down, um, all the ports for an extended period of time, and they basically eradicated COVID. But I think at this moment, and I have family that lives in Australia, I think they're, they're, they're on a, uh, a short shutdown right now. But basically what it says that, you know, um, we've seen Alpha, Kappa, and Delta variants cross our borders. But it turns out another strain of the virus that causes COVID-19 has reached our shores. And that was what they were saying in Australia. But here's the thing. One of the things that's troubling, it says, and I want to make sure. I, um, so, apparently, this lambda virus, lambda strain, is already in 29 countries. And it's they're saying, and I want to find exactly where they said it, uh, that basically it is this new strain. Um, here's what they say. The new variant could be fast-spreading and difficult to tackle with vaccines. Now, it has been my experience, even throughout, you know, through this virus and, and even in any other um, situation that we think of, the United States, we are, we are a quilt. We are the shores that everyone comes to, passes through. So it is usually, and has been so far, without exception, that any time a new variant comes up, it is somewhere in, within the borders of the United States already. So the question begs, the new Lambda virus, or a new Lambda strain, let me make sure I get this right, how many people in that crowd of 100,000 today might just have it already? And if it's, if vaccines, uh, or if it seems to be somewhat immune to vaccines, how many people did they spread it to? I know today was a hot day. It was, you know, this, the parade was pre-planned. Obviously, I couldn't tell how hot it would be. But I, I, again, I cringe because a hundred thousand people as spectators, I don't know how many, um, actual parade um, participants were there. No one was wearing a mask. So several, several questions came to mind. Could it be that we are so presumptuous and so egotistical and such, uh, in such a, a need to stroke our egos by declaring, you know, that we have beat COVID? Because basically, that display today kind of says we beat COVID, right? You had 100,000 spectators. You had a parade full of healthcare, first responders, frontline workers who were not wearing masks. What if we're wrong? You know, I remember for years, I would see, you know, as I go to different parts of New York City, I would see people, especially people of Asian descent, wearing masks. And it looked strange. I mean, these were, this is for years, and you know, when nothing was going on. And I think sometime, at some point I realized that they were doing it um, possibly out of the custom of what they do back, you know, back in their country of origin. But it's, you know, I have a problem with taking off my mask when I'm in, you know, among people I don't know. 
for a number of reasons. Number one, how smart is the COVID the virus? And the mutated strains, how smart are they? And are they, are we one step ahead of this, of these, uh, different strains? Or maybe are these strains one step ahead of us? And if so, are we victors or are we about to become victims again? I also will recall a conversation that I've mentioned before in a previous episode with a nurse at my kid's uh, doctor. And the nurse basically said, and I don't know, don't hold me to this, uh, these uh, statistics because I don't know if the numbers are exactly true. But basically he said, generally speaking, the average number of people that die in the United States each year from the flu is about 61,000. He said, you know, according to what the statistics he quoted on the last flu season, we'd only seen not deaths, just cases. We'd only seen 2,000 cases of the flu. Not sure how many of them died. And I don't even know, even think they would know because obviously this was in the middle of COVID. But what that statistic says is, you will, you know, and, and, and what the nurse said, which made sense, was the reason we only had that few cases because everyone was wearing a mask. We were so scared of COVID that we were doing something to protect ourselves that actually protected us from the flu. And it worries me because here we are going into flu season again. We, you know, I got the Pfizer vaccine in February. I've heard many stories that, and I don't know what's correct because no one's been able to ascertain the truth as to how long my immunity lasts or will last. I've heard stories of six months. Well, February, six months later, is next month, next month, August. So after August, is my immunity gone? Number one. Number two, for the six-month month period that you have immunity, do you have full-blown immunity, or do you start on a scale, a linear scale heading downwards, and as you get closer to the end of the six months, you have less and less and less and less immunity? Meaning, am I much more vulnerable now than I would say at the end of February, because I had it around the mid of February. So... Does it make sense now, as my as jobs and everyone else are kind of forcing us back to work, forcing us, and that's, that's a whole other conversation because, and I had that before too, but I'll continue to have that conversation, forcing us back from remote into, into the offices. So many businesses have admitted that their productivity of their staff has gone up so much since they've been working remotely. There's so many common sense things that make sense about working remotely, at least probably throughout the end of the year, just to make sure that we don't put ourselves right back in trouble. I mean, I don't know how many of you really dwell on this and maybe you just say, you know, what the heck or whatever, but think about pre-COVID. We would get on the subway, we would get on the railroad or whatever, 
and we will ride with you know, thousands of people or hundreds of people on a train, and we will walk the streets of New York, packed with people, and we enter a building to go to work where there's hundreds of people on the floor. And we did so many things that were, that just spread germs. You know, we go to the bathroom, you wash your hand, you touch the door, you do all these things that we took for granted. And so when COVID unleashed this wrath, so many lives were lost. So many of us got COVID and I got COVID too. That's because we were in that community setting. We are very vulnerable. And now we are arrogant enough, we are presumptuous enough to say, we have beat COVID, so let's go back and hang out like we used to. So let's, let's, you know, let's say I am completely wrong. Let's say that we have beat COVID, that the vaccines we got are these miracle drugs, that you know, COVID bowed his head and ran away because it, has, it just can't deal with the vaccine. Well, does that mean that COVID is now the last virus, the last challenge of, of, of that form that we will face as humankind? History suggests that as a progression, whether it be deliberate or whether it be simple evolution of things in our society, that things happen on a much more frequent basis now. That the illnesses of the past were much, um, not, not as aggressive, not as critical as the illnesses now, not in, in the forms they come. At least that's what I see. And so, I mean, I, I'll say as, as a child growing up, you know, things like diabetes and cancer, they're not things I heard about very much. Not that they didn't exist, but in my, in my journey of life, it just seems to me that as time went on, these, these illnesses became more violent, more you know, attacked us more as human beings. We succumbed to them more. So going back into this communal setting with hundreds of people around you and using the bathrooms, and, and let's, let's, be, let's, let's be clear about this too. There is no way that you will get a floor with you know, hundreds of people or whatever to follow these rules of six feet apart and only three people in the bathroom and it's just not going to happen because people, these people are policing themselves. And if five people have to go to the bathroom really badly and there's five stalls, I guarantee you in the beginning it might be okay, but a couple of weeks down the road, those five stalls are going to be filled. And so we can't, it just feels to me like, you know, we, we, we all boarded the Titanic. We were sailing. We hit the iceberg. The ship sunk. 600,000 plus of us died. We got these vaccines. And now we're going to go right back on the Titanic again and keep going towards the same iceberg and expect a different result. We have to be crazy to think that we are that safe. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand again. Businesses have to make money. But I've said in my episode on this topic before, and I'll say it again. If we look through the, 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 the years, the, the, you know, you look a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, 
we evolve as human beings. We get, we are smarter. We are more advanced. We, we, we have the brain power, I think, as we always did, you know, since the existence of time to create new ways to earn money, to make a living, to, to evolve based on our circumstances and our environment. I don't know what detriment it is to officials to say, hey, let these people remain working remotely. Now, and I'll say this again, there are a set of people who have a unique set of circumstances and they want to and need to go to work. So if you want to make it voluntary, then I guess I'm okay with that because if you make the choice and you get sick, you made the choice. But every other person I speak to is petrified of going. I, I, I thought it was me alone for a while. But some people I speak to are there, they feel like they're being forced back into the office now. There's no moment of comfort. Whether they enjoy their job before or after doesn't matter because they walk into the office in a state of panic, but they have to be there because they have to earn a living. And I just wonder, whether it be the Lambda variant or some other thing, or not COVID at all, but some other um, virus that's maybe even worse than COVID because it's learned our bodies and it's coming back the next time stronger, bigger, and badder. What we're going to say, what will employers, government officials, employers, whomever, what will you say when that happens, if that happens, to the families of the co- of the workers who once again start losing their lives? I'm sorry doesn't cut it. The fact that you were, were, were arrogant enough not to be able to discern the need to move forward in a new way. Not only preserving the lives of the workforce, but you know the other thing that came out of this remote was a beautiful, a much better work-life balance. I mean, think about it. Now, again, I know some of the things I'm repeating, but I will keep repeating it, and I, and I hope you guys keep sharing these episodes until somebody listens and says, wait a minute, I don't care what we said, stop. You know, it's one thing to work for someone, anyone, to earn a living. But the whole reason that you go to work is exactly that, to make an income, so that you can take care of home, your children, your family, buy a home, go on vacation, eat something nice, spend a nice weekend, barbecue, spend time with your family, whatever. But what we have learned, especially in a place like New York, is that you know I I get I used to get on the train at six I don't know six forty something whatever in the morning, and the train would be packed within a few stops. If you look around, you realize how many people leave their homes before their kids are and their spouses are awake. I used to get home, you know, depending on how the trains went, how that day went, I would say uh, between 6 and 6.45, depending on what happened with the train. And that's, if it, that's on a good day. So I, I would leave, figuring if I'm, if I'm catching a 6.40-something train, I was up at 5.00. 
and I'm back home at, you know, just before seven. Now, kids who are going to school, I've, I've got young kids. They need to be in bed by 7, 7.30. So this wonderful practice of working leaves me maybe 20, 15, 20 minutes with my kids for an entire day. They're tired. They've been to school. They have to come home, do their homework. They're tired. And you basically try to squeeze in the quality of one day in 20 minutes. Here we found out that working remotely, you could be there when your kids got home from school. You could spend time with them. You know, my kids are doing amazing in school because I could really pay attention to their schooling and their homework. You know, it, 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 the work-life balance was just amazingly better. And it is a sad, sad day when employers just can't seem to, you know, the, the, the dollar, the mighty dollar is so much more important than a human life that they don't realize not only what a benefit it is to employees to work remotely, but also, it, 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 you know, because of the, the upward tick in productivity, monetarily, it probably ends up working better for, you know, for the business. Now, there's a few caveats. There are the landlords, you know, I heard, I forgot what percentage, but I heard that uh, this year, there's one that has been like, I forgot how many years that they haven't had this high percentage of vacancy in buildings in New York City. And I said before in another episode, challenge the landlords to reinvent themselves, to reinvent their spaces, challenge the brilliant minds out there to come up with new uses for these spaces, uses that allow employees. Uh, businesses to still need and use the space without packing it with employees. You know, if you have that many people working remotely and you have to have that much bandwidth, et cetera, you know, there's more data centers are probably needed. There's the, the natural uh, increase in, in data centers just because of the technology in our lives that keeps evolving. But now, you, need, you know, you have more people accessing you know, your servers, et cetera. For those people who want to or, or have to go in because of their job function or just simply because of how their lives are, create, you know, some sort of work pods in these buildings where people can go in and be, you know, uh, maybe visually see each other, but be isolated in terms of germs, in terms of, you know, in, 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 in an area of cleanliness. Um, create more open spaces, create, you know, more, I, you know, I mean, just, I'm, I'm just coming up with things off the top of my head, but, we had look at what we've done. We we got a space station. We just send people to the moon. We go into we got NASA doing crazy things. You tell me that we can't find any way to generate revenue other than the way it was. What happens if you have another pandemic and we lose now six hundred thousand people? How many more buildings are going to be empty then? I mean, this it, it just this whole thing to me just reeks of the capitalism and the need to, you know, to generate funds and to get richer and, and, and to not, not have the people, the employees matter because we're just pawns in a bigger game.
I heard someone say to me, it's actually not, I heard someone said to me, um, well, you know, one of the problems, especially with New York City, is if you don't get people back into work, then the subway, the you know, MTA suffers because of low ridership. That is very true. But maybe if we think outside the box, there's a way for MTA to have a new structure of how they do things with, you know, you know with the, the lower amount of riders, but maybe they offer certain types of getaways. I don't know. I'm just coming up with things where families will take them on the weekends or whatever, still not in a crowded situation, but people will use them. You know, I don't know. Okay. Maybe the fares do go up slightly because you have less people using it, but now I guess more people in a certain way can afford it because, you know, then they're not spending that monthly, that monthly amount for that ticket anymore. Maybe the employees who do decide to go into work or who have to go into work, maybe you take some money and you give them a uh, uh, salary differential for the risk that they're taking. But I don't feel sorry for the millionaires and billionaires who are crying because they have a building that's empty. Because when their buildings are full, they become slumlords. They, just, they, just, they become greedy slumlords. Now they're being forced to find ways to attract people to their, to their properties and, and to actually have value in their properties. So, I mean, I know this is, I, I, you know, after my last episode on this, I got a lot of feedback on both sides. I got a lot of people who, who said to me, I see your point, but, you know, um, I agree with this, I disagree with that, and that's okay because the whole idea of 247 Real Talk is conversation. Is, is is pushing our minds and pushing our our social inherent characteristics to, to to talk to find solutions together, understanding that we're we're all the same but we're all different. So hopefully, again, something changes, and I don't want to, when I say something changes, something changes for the better. Meaning that someone has a light bulb and, and finds that you know this work life balance means that. People are living longer because their stress is less. People don't have to travel the amount of hours. People don't have to be away from their family so often. You know, the whole, you know, we can work to live and we don't have to live to work. You know, living to work can be a choice. It can also be forced upon you. This is a time of opportunity, great opportunity. The fact that many people who have the power are not recognizing what a gold mine they have in their hands, what opportunity they have to craft things in a newer, better way is sad. I started this episode honoring the first responders, the nurses, the doctors, every single hospital worker, no matter the role. The firemen, the police, the, 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 the transit workers, the, um, EMTs, the paramedics. And I hope I haven't left anyone out, but I want to end this episode saying once again to all you brave first responders who, despite the challenges, despite some of you being afraid, but having to go to work because you have to feed your families. Despite the fact that many of you lost people, lost family members within your own families, 
had to look at their bodies one moment and then go back into a workplace where you weren't sure if you were going to follow them next. To all of you who had to watch people take their last breaths, watch people suffer, watch people struggle to breathe, watch people intubated and, and dropping like flies. To all of you who have been on my show and have expressed your experience and, and how much it has changed your life, I say thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you that despite your fear, you stood up for the job you have, not because it's just a job, but because it's a calling. For many people who go into that profession are born with the inherent characteristic to help, to heal, to save, to comfort. You are a remarkable set of people. I would also ask you to continue to think about yourselves as well. And maybe add your voices to the, to the drumbeat that, that should get louder and louder and louder. Sending the message that we need to start doing things in a new way. We need to understand that we are not slaves of our jobs, but we are part of a solution. We are part of a society. We are part of, of, of life. And the first and foremost goal should be the preservation of life. Get this message through to elected officials. Get this message through to employers everywhere. I, for one, will continue to wear my mask. Whether I'm ridiculed or not, I don't care. If I'm in a crowd or in people or amongst people where that I don't know or know their history, know anything about them, I'll have a mask. I'll have a mask at work. I'll have a mask on the train. I don't know when I will take it off. The fact that I've, you know, there have been a few years that I got the flu and I haven't had in a couple of years and I, and I got COVID and uh, since I've been wearing my mask, I, I haven't really gotten sick. I think I'm going to go through the entire next uh, winter season, the flu season with my mask. I pray that COVID is actually over. But I do have my doubts. Only God knows where we go next. But wherever we do go, I pray that we do the right thing for each other in an attempt and an effort to preserve life. Thank you once again to all you first responders. And I hope that this is the end and a new beginning. I want to say a very special thank you to my audience for giving me the opportunity to speak my mind on 247 Real Talk. I've been doing so more often because my supporters have sent me messages asking me to continue to do so. I also want to thank you all for making this podcast possible, for allowing me to continue to do what I do. In the next few upcoming episodes, 
I expect to have some intriguing and exciting guests, so do stay tuned. Remember that you can listen to this episode and all of the episodes on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to send me a message, if you'd like to leave me a comment, if you'd like to be a guest in the show, if you have feedback, email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, be good to yourselves, take care of yourselves, and each other.